Welcome back to the Hoops Temple podcast. Y'all know me, Nathan Schwartz. We don't have Nico and Dylan today, but we do have a special guest. We've got Aaron Schroeder from TikTok. You might know him as Possible Chairs. He's got quite a few followers and really uh, taking the NBA away from the mainstream, going on a new platform. Aaron, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah, I'm excited for this. Now, uh, Aaron, your TikTok bio says you're a Kings fan, so be kind. Yeah. How did you become a Kings fan? You know, my family's old school. And we got the paper. I grew up in the Sacramento area. Every day, little kid elementary school, reading the sports section. It was King's stuff. It was the Sacramento Bee. They didn't write about the Warriors. I wasn't blessed for them to write about the Warriors like that. I got stuck with Sacramento. But you know what? I never even thought about being a fan of another franchise. I have no connection to any other team. It's King's through and through, no matter how bad we get. Now, I think you're a little bit younger than me, but when did you become a King's fan? I've been going to games probably for the last 10 years or so. But becoming a king, I really started focusing on the NBA more in high school. So right around 2014, I'd be like, this is it. Like, I'm going to be the Kings fan. Like, we're going to do this. Um, And I committed to it. And I'm happy that I have because being at the bottom, is going to be that much sweeter at the top. I'm ready for that transition. Yeah. No one can ever call you a bandwagon fan. Absolutely. I watched way too much way too much Willie Colley Stein and John Salmons for anyone to tell me that that I was a bandwagon fan. I was there. Oh my gosh. My my Laker fandom makes me wanna like make some jabs here, but also the the respect. You've never sniffed the playoffs. Um my Lakers are are now probably heading for a little bit of a downward spiral. Bronze aging out. Tell me, give me encouragement. I'm sorry, but I have to ask, like, what is years of lottery like? It's it's both sweet and it's painful. It's something where you you look forward to the end of the season, not because the playoffs are there, but because the draft is there. And that's always fun. <laughs> you won't you won't stress out as much because there's no expectations. You're never going to be worried if the Lakers are going to make the playoffs, because, of course, you're not going to make the playoffs. Being a Kings fan, it's it's low effort. They just kind of are. I wish they were better, but... But, you know, it is what it is. But we there's a bright future going on. I really believe that. I think we're in a good spot. People thrashed us this season. It was disappointing, but it was a good spot. Good. Well, where, where's the hope and optimism coming from? The hope comes from, it sounds, it sounds ridiculous, but it comes from the Sabonis trade. And, and when that happened, I was so upset. And maybe I've, I've just overthought it and now I'm okay with it. But having two borderline all-star players in Fox and Sabonis is better than it's ever been in, in years. Probably since Weber and Stojakovic, we haven't had that kind of talent. And just having that alone is a good building block. Yeah, I'm a big Sabonis fan. And like my co-host Dylan, he picks rightfully so on Sabonis and all the things that he doesn't do well. But he does so many good things. His passing is really great. He is a pretty great downloads download scorer. Um, and like, yeah, his defense isn't the best. But if you can find a nice mobile big man, and like, you might be able to make it work. Yeah, and his chemistry with Fox is good, and that's important. His defense is an issue because we've always been bad defensively. That's one of the biggest issues. We haven't had a positive defensive rating since 2006. We're consistently the worst defensive team in the league over and over and over. And that really needs to be a priority going forward. I think it can work as a bonus, but you're going to have to move some pieces around. All right. Who's uh, who's on the cutting room floor? Who do you want to see moved? Who do you want to see kept? Right now, it's our it's our wing issues. We haven't had a good wing play 
in in basically forever. I don't have any. I can't tell you um the last great wing we had. It was Peja. Is it Harrison Barnes? Is it Rudy Gay? These guys aren't great players. Um, I made a, a long list of the wings since since we made the playoffs. It's it's not good. We're starting guys like Justin Jackson or Garrett Temple or Trevor Ariza. Horrible. Alec Burks. We're starting Terrence Davis. Ben McElmore is playing for us. If we can get just solid wing play behind Fox and Sabonis, it, it would be incredible. Do you have a plan for how to get there or how, how far ahead are you thinking? I'm thinking, so there's two free agents I was looking at. It's TJ Warren and Robert Covington. And I'm not sure if they're going to get re-signed or where they're, where they're at with their teams, but just a guy like that would, would be so good for us. Because right now we're starting Harrison Barnes at the four. If we could start him and another wing close to his size, it would make up for the fact that we're going both small at center with Sabonis and power forward with Barnes. Trying to think, is Thad Young a free agent? He might have a couple of years on. Thad, Thad Young could Thad Young could stay a free agent. <laughs> <laughs> no love for Thad. No love for no, not right now, not right now. I I, I like Thad Young. I, I appreciate him. Um, I'm just not interested right now. Okay, all right. So I know you've um you've been doing some work on TikTok about uh, if there were an expansion franchise, and yeah. I. I didn't see the Kings one yet, but which uh, which eight Kings are you keeping or protecting if if an expansion franchise were to pop up? That's a great question. I had I had um gone over, so you got to keep Fox. It's Fox and Sabonis. If I could only protect two players, I just, I might I might just go those two guys, and everyone else can can find their way. But with eight guys, it's Fox Sabonis. I'd keep Harrison Barnes. I'd keep DiVincenzo, and Davion Mitchell absolutely has to stay. Davion's been incredible. He's been so good. I haven't gotten to watch much of him. I know the the draft scouting. Um, I did a lot of work last year for the for the draft and watched a lot of tape. Um, I probably watch more tape of him in college now at this point than in the pros. Is he as good defensively, and do you think it's going to fit next to Fox long term? I'm concerned about the fit because right now – it's he's a backup point guard or he's a shooting guard. He's not quite tall enough to be your full-time shooting guard in a playoff team. Can he just stay with those guys defensively? Absolutely. As of a few days ago, because I wrote this down a few days ago, but his last 10 games, he's averaging 19, 7, and 3 mm. on great splits. 45% from the field, 35 from deep, 81 from the field, or 81 from the line. And we're, we were 5-5 five and five in that stretch, and Fox wasn't playing for a majority of that. That's interesting. I've completely taken my eyes off the King things in all honesty, but you know, it, it's good to hear that they have some hope. Yeah. We're, we are the worst drafting franchise ever. It's not, I don't think it's particularly close. Um, if Monty McNair can put together a third straight good draft pick, cause he went Halliburton, then Mitchell, if he can draft someone good, this would be the first time since the merger we've drafted three straight good players in the first round. Hasn't happened before. I mean, at least you keep your draft picks. As a Lakers fan, it, it's been a few seasons since we've uh, kept a draft pick. Yeah, and you guys are about to ship off your 2029 pick. To yeah, try to get Russell Westbrook off the team. Oh, I I don't like I don't like it. Tell me about that really quickly. Do you like Westbrook? Do we not like Westbrook? What do you want to get rid of him or try to make it work? So traditionally, we do this podcast with a little bit of alcohol involved. I I get home from my day uh, at work. Um, Nico's usually chilling with a nice glass of wine. Uh, Poor Dylan records this at like 9 a.m. because he's in New Zealand. Um, So he's he's usually not drinking. You know, some days mimosas are a thing. But um, 
Yeah, that day was like a, a big, strong, stout hood day for me. Like I, I was having having something strong because I was <laughs> I, I was just so out on Westbrook. I'm a big fan uh, and loyal listener to the Goat podcast with Sharp and Gulliver. And I've had to listen to Andrew Sharp, um, you know, wax about having Westbrook on his team in Washington. And he's like, I just hope, can't wait for him to be gone. I just hope we can get rid of him. And then I find out that he's coming to L.A. And I was like, oh, cool. So the Lakers are going to be an eighth seed because uh, this is not going to work out chemistry wise. And I, I don't know who on earth um, was saying the Lakers were going to be good. The Vegas odds had them as the number two title favorite this year in the preseason. Like if you pull a basketball reference, they were they were really high in preseason odds. And I was just instantly out. This is going to be terrible. We gave up so much depth for a guy that makes teams worse, not better at this point. Wow, really? So you didn't you weren't in on this? No, I was, I was wow, 100% out. And I, I like Westbrook. This is the thing is like players get bad as they get old, like Kobe the last couple of years. Not good. He's stubborn, though. That's the issue is it's it's the lack of willingness to change that play style. Yeah. In that in that contract. Well, and like, I don't even know what he's going to change it to because he's not a he's not a plus defender. He's lost the quickness. He doesn't have the strength and he's not like a long player. So like as a small, not as athletic as he once was and not long player, like he's not going to get better defensively. I don't really see him developing a late career jump shot. So I just, I don't know what the expectation even is for his career. Yeah, absolutely. When the trade deadline was here, I was on the trade machine as we all are. And I was like, if we, if the Kings could take Westbrook and they'll take, they'll give us two first and they can take Buddy Heald and we'll do the, the Heald trade again. Yeah. Trying to get you guys to, to give us Westbrook and a bunch of picks. But I think someone else is probably going to do that at, at, at a worse price. Um, but the Kings are in um they're in a spot now to be better than the Lakers next season and that's that's unbelievable. I'm going to I'm going to revel in that. We haven't been good in, in a long time. Man, that that is a new level of low that I wasn't even thinking about is that the Lakers would be worse than the Kings like it's bad enough I have to do this show with Dylan and he's like, "Yeah, so are the Clippers, best team in LA like every other week." But they'd be the worst team in California. The Clippers lived in the basement for a long time. They they crawled their way out, and I'm hoping we're next. I like our general manager, though. People say all the time that our front office is horrible. I think Monte McNair really knows what he's doing. I think he's a smart guy. Um, if Vlade was was all right, I think Vlade is overhated. He made some good pieces, but he missed on the one piece that mattered, which is the Luca pick. And like, just just. Luca being from Slovenia and Divac from being that part of the world and the, like he knew Luca's dad like it's just so weird that that's the pick he misses on. Yeah, I was so high on Luca. You could get a contact high just from being around me. <laughs> Even if you didn't like basketball, I was going to tell you how good Luca Doncic was and I was I was watching that draft and I try not to spoil it for myself, but I see I see the tweet from Woj saying we're going to take Bagley. And that like 15 seconds in between seeing the tweet and watching it happen live were the worst moments of my life. Just like watching like a plane crash in slow motion, Adam Silver walking up to the podium and just Marvin Bagley. And looking back, even if we picked, he's he's the worst pick in the top 10 for that draft or close to it. I know he's playing well in, in Detroit, but it's just a disaster from the jump. Do you think it's Luke Walton's coaching or do you think that this was just he's not good? 
I don't think he's good. Okay. The, the issue was he was hurt a lot and wasn't a great shooter, a little undersized to play down low. He couldn't stay in front of anybody. They would target him like people pretend Rudy Gobert gets targeted. No, they really targeted Marvin Bagley. People would switch onto screens with him and just go at him. And he couldn't stay in front of anybody. It wasn't He wasn't a plus offensively nearly enough to make up for that fact. Uh, I'm, I'm glad to hear that you were out on Bagley in the beginning. Because one of the questions I wanted to ask here today was, did you believe in any of the Kings picks that just didn't pan out? Like, which is the one that breaks your heart or, like, that you really thought was going to be good? You know, I went to a summer league game with Bag when Bagley played. Uh-huh. And the, it was, Golden One was rocking. It was awesome. And he played well. He dunked on uh, Mo Wagner, Franz Wagner's older brother. Yeah. Just dunked on him. I've never gone crazier in my life. The stadium just exploded. And we were like, this is the guy. He's going to be so good. Injuries, attitude, bad defense. Ended up being too much. Was he talented? Is he talented? Absolutely. But that's too much to overcome. Yeah. Well, what, which other picks, um, like, were, was there any pick that really broke your heart that the Kings made where you, like, thought this player was going to be good and then he just didn't pan out? That's a good question. I think the biggest one is Ben McElmore. We McElmore has those tools. Beautiful jump shot. Freak athlete. But just one of the stupidest players you'd ever watch in terms of basketball IQ. You're like, this guy has no idea what direction the game is even going. <laughs> I had a buddy compare him to J.R. Smith, and I was like, yep, yep, that's fair. J.R. Smith is way better. He's way better. <laughs> but just in terms of IQ, because like, yeah, I mean, Smith actually yeah. had a really great run in Denver that gets forgotten way too often. Yeah, he did. Macklemore would try these transition 360s, go for steals way too often and he has all these physical tools and he's had a long career i'll give him that but just boneheaded decisions boneheaded decisions but i wish i could say that that i had high hopes for any of these other guys obviously halliburton is incredible he's going to be great for a long time is that trade going to be bad for us eventually maybe but if we can make the playoffs next year it doesn't matter just doesn't matter i'm all for it will you settle for the play-in or does it have to be the full full playoffs I'm not going to be happy until we make the playoffs. Play-in is cool. I want to play a seven-game series. I want to see it. What's interesting is we traded Halliburton to make room for Fox, and people bagged on that, but at the same time wanted us to take Luka and have Fox in the same room, which is just an interesting twist, where people acknowledge that Halliburton was slowing Fox down, which the stats show was, was fairly true, but at the same time, like, oh, no. Like, Fox and Luka could have worked. If, if Luka works out, I don't think Fox is here anymore. I I think that probably would be even better, though. It's like, if you could have had Luka and not Fox, I think I think the Kings are in a better position at that point. Yeah, Fox's contract's not great. We maxed him out. We maxed out somebody who I just don't trust with the ball in his hand at the end of the game. I don't trust him with, with, with the basketball with two minutes left. He makes questionable decisions. His jump shooting is not good, and when the game's on the line, people will play you with that. They'll back up, and, the, and he would drive right into people and just throw it off the backboard. And it's, it's tough to see. I, I've watched him get zero assists and a half as our starting point guard, and you can't have that if you're going to make the playoffs. Your starting point guard can't get zero assists. For me, it's that he just doesn't do anything off ball. Like It's a little bit reminiscent of James Harden in Houston, where if he ever passes up the ball, like I feel like I just see Fox go stand kind of the elbow adjacent and all right, wait for it to give back. But the thing that I really liked about Halliburton earlier in the season is you'd have him out there with Mitchell or with healed 
Um, and I, I'm a Buddy Heald fan. I'm, I'm just going to put that out there. I know you're shaking your head. I know he was a bit misaligned, but you know it was nice. Like the ball moved, and they would hit Fox and would just stop. And I was like, ah, that was my my big knock on Fox. Yeah, he struggles with off ball stuff, but with Heald, Heald was great. When I think of Kings, the legendary Kings run with Dave Yeager almost making the playoffs, I think of Buddy Heald. He was really good for whatever reason. He stopped trying, and he is. I think people viewed him as this valuable asset, this young guy. I think he's 28. He's not a young rookie anymore. And when we traded him in the Halliburton deal and people were like, and they got Buddy, I'm like, no, no, no. We got rid of Buddy. Yeah. That was a contract we wanted to get rid of. That That's part of this. We both got off of Buddy Heald and we get an all-star center. I find that trade just so weird to look at because like Halliburton for Sabonis makes some sense. But then, like, picks got randomly thrown around of, like, uh, Sacramento gets a pick from Indiana. Um, like, what is Indiana doing? Why, like, it shouldn't Indiana be rebuilding? Uh, why, why does Sacramento want this pick? Like, all right, you got Jeremy Lamb and Justin Holiday, but you gave up your only shooting. I don't know. I just, I'm interested to see how it shakes out, but I don't really have too many key high-pointing thoughts on it. It's something that's going to take seven years until we know what happened. We're not going to know for a long time. Um, but with, with Indiana, they have a direction. They're going to be bad at basketball, and they're going to get high picks. And that's awesome. I wish the Kings would pick a direction. I think that's been our biggest issue, is we're always the 12th seed, the 11th seed. With seven games left, we're always, you know, if the Kings win out, and the eighth seed never wins again, Kings are in, and it never happens. And that's such a bad spot to be, picking fifth, picking seventh giving the ninth pick or the 10th pick. It, you can't build off that. If, if we're going to be bad, awesome. Let's be bad. I want to get eliminated from the playoffs in January. Like, let's do it. But if we're going to be good, let, I want to pick that direction too. We, we seem to have this, we're both flipping veterans for young assets and doing the opposite. Yeah. And there's, there's just no stability in that. Yeah, you're right. You just got to pick a direction. And I, um, I've lived in Michigan for the past several years, and I actually moved here just in time to see my Lakers lose to the Pistons in 04. So that was a, a great moving in uh, welcome party. But like those Pistons teams after they won in 04, they were still competitive for a while. And then as they dwindled, they just kept making like, all right, what if we, what if we get like 80% worse, but we get a little younger? And then like it finally led them down this road. And the Pistons have been in that kind of similar stage for a while where oh, we're going to get Blake Griffin, make this one quick playoff appearance and get bounced again. I think as much aligned as, as um, Sam Hinkie was for the process, like the process is still one of the smartest things. And we all just try to pretend like it's not. But being really bad, getting some good draft picks, like cool. Embiid and Simmons didn't work out, but you still got Embiid and that got you pretty far. Yeah. And we pretend like no one's tanking now. When all these teams, the Thunder are processing harder than the Sixers ever did. They're trading for vets and then just paying them to sit at home. Or Portland's won two games since the All-Star break. Orlando and Houston are terrible. Houston's not playing Christian Wood because of a hamstring injury, which doesn't exist. These teams are all doing what the Philadelphia 76ers were doing. So are you trying to posit that maybe the Kings are too honorable and they're not blatantly tanking enough? Yeah, what I what I wanted at the trade deadline was the Fox trade. I wanted to ship him to New York for RJ. At that point, I don't think the Knicks would take it, but at the time, it made more sense for for Obi Toppin and RJ and, and two firsts. 
and be like and be horrible get a top pick head to the future of the Halliburton I would still rather do that than what we did but being where we are is okay I just want some stability Harrison Barnes talked about this the other week he said and which is true him and Fox since they got there are the only two people left they've had 48 different new players 24 different assistant coaches three head coaches and two general managers just a little bit of stability would be awesome. It's wild. I don't realize how many players have passed through there. Do they still have? Do they fire Walton? Do Walton make? No, they fired Walton, right? Fired Walton. Gentry's our coach, and he's not going to be back either. I, I don't think. I don't think he wants to be this coach anymore. I don't think we want him to be the coach anymore. It would be just horribly disappointing if we kept Alvin Gentry. We know what Gentry is. Come on, we can do better than this. I have a few coach names written down. Do you want do you want to hear some names, maybe some potential Kings candidates? Yeah. So the first one is the Knicks fire Tom Thibodeau, and then we jump on that. What do you what do you think about a Tom Thibodeau run team? I have some Thibodeau opinions, but go ahead. So I think Thibodeau will get you to the playoffs. Um, I think Sabonis is gonna break every bone in his body uh, trying to play for Tibbs. Um, <laughs> I don't know. I, I'm in general very low on Tibbs because. I think he maxes out your team for one or two seasons. You overachieve, you change your course and direction, and then aren't able to sustain it. Um, also, I think the players kind of quit on him after a year or two. But yeah, I'm just I'm just not overly high on him. That's exactly how I feel, but I consider it worth it. He's going to come in and he galvanizes a mediocre team. They win 42 games. They make the playoffs. After two years, no one listens to him anymore, and you have to fire him. But is that worth it for this culture shift? For like, no, the Kings did make the playoffs. Like, no, we can be better. I'm in favor of it just because I feel like, first, defensively, like I said, we haven't had a positive defensive rating as a team since 2006. That has to change. The players have come and gone. We've consistently been the worst defensive team in the league. It makes sense. And I mean, it does get the monkey off your back. You don't have the, like, longest playoff drought in professional sports anymore. So from that perspective, it's probably worth it. I don't think it gets you closer to a long-term goal, but it at least gets gets that off your back. Who else you got? How about Kenny, Kenny Atkinson? I would have liked that a lot more if they still had, had Halliburton and were going the younger rebuilding route. But he did a good job with those nets and the he worked well with some of the cast-offs. So you might be able to have some reclamation projects. I mean, it's kind of a shame that they got rid of Bagley because I feel like he could actually get more out of Bagley than anyone who who's coached Bagley has. Yeah, we did turn Bagley into DiVincenzo, which I feel like that's a good move at this point. Bagley did want to be here. Uh, my last coach is, what if the Kings get on the phone? Vladi gets on the phone and calls 75-year-old Mike D'Antoni and just asks if he wants to try this massive project. I know he's not actually 75, but he's very old. Do you think he'd be A, up for that, and B, would that work? I mean, stylistically, it wouldn't be the worst thing. Sabonis is slow, but you could run a... The passing is beautiful, and you could run a fast break, um, kind of seven seconds or Shaq type offense where, you know, you're you booking it or you dump it down to Sabonis and let him try to play through some cutters. I, I kind of like that. Although, isn't that just getting Gentry but better? Like just an A-plus version of Gentry? If Gentry but better gets us anywhere, I'll take it. True. Gentry just seems defeated. And that's kind of his thing. Gentry coaches a bad game. The, the players suck. He gets in the press conference is like, oh, that was the worst I've ever seen. That was miserable. I promise to be better. He's ranting for 30 minutes at a time. Next day comes, it's the same thing. There's no, that's the cycle we're in. Uh, what's Dave Yeager up to? Maybe maybe he wants to come back? I hate that we fired Yeager. 
I know Jaeger is a jerk, and I understand that's why he left. Didn't get along with the players, but the fact that we fired our best coach since in 15 years for Buddy Heald hurts even worse. Yeah. He didn't get along with Buddy. He didn't get along with, with X, Y, and Z. None of it was worth it. I'm trying to think if there's any Kings legend that you might be able to bring in. What's Chris, what's Chris Webber doing? You feel like you might want to give coaching a, sh- a try? I don't, I don't I don't trust Chris Webber with his timeout management. I don't think. <laughs> I don't think that would be a good idea. I think Mike Bibby might have gotten into the podcasting game lately. So there's Bibby. There's um, uh, what's his name? Bobby Jackson. Yeah, I think Bobby Jackson coaches. Doug Christie. Doug Christie is the assistant coach right now. I would take Doug Christie. He's you know a smart, hard nosed defender. Or like that. I don't know. This is the Laker fan in me, which is like, all right, magic didn't work. Who's the next legend we can bring in? All right, we, we got Kobe's uh, agent. Okay, he, he's not working out. Who's the next uh, Laker? Shaq got anyone? Do we, do we want do we want to try things with Shaq? And- is is Mikan still alive? Can we check if Mikan's still alive? <laughs> See if he wants to coach this team. It would fit. It would fit given the the age of the age of the current roster. Mikan is past. Uh, I just was listening to, <laughs> to Jackie Max. Uh, uh, Legends Club or Icons Club and discusses Shaq paying for his funeral. So I, I think Mikan's gone, but Kareem always wanted to get into coaching. That's true. Shaq did do a wonderful thing there paying for Mikan's funeral. People don't appreciate Mikan like they should, but um, Kareem, I don't, I don't think Kareem should coach. I don't think, I, I think he would quit in like three weeks. Doesn't have the temperament to do it. He's a total perfectionist, super uptight. But imagine him telling LeBron no. Just like there's few people in the world that have the the pedigree to say no to LeBron. Like he's not going to push Kareem around. Yeah, that's true. That's true. I mean, Kareem gets on television, not on television, but on Twitter for his articles and whatnot, calling out anybody. He does him with him and Magic. I feel like when something bad happens in the Lakers franchise, they're like, hey, Magic and Kareem, like, do you want to just pour gasoline all over this? <laughs> It just, just let's just light this whole thing ablaze, and and they say yes every time. Well, and now that you even got Jerry West uh, taking some shots. Apparently, they've stripped his season tickets. Like, ooh, it is. It's. It might be time for the or uh, genie to sell the Lakers, and that that's sad to say. Her her tenure has been has been bad. But our uh, the Kings owner, I like the Kings owner because he wants to keep them in Sacramento. Because that was a real concern when the team was being sold. The Maloofs were going to send us out to Seattle. There was big articles in the paper every day. I was like 12. And I remember that happening and he bought the team. He kept us. But he's just too involved in basketball operations. And I think the, the owners that are too involved, it never works out. There's just not a great track record for average owners drafting players there's that infamous video of him i think it's 2013 drafting nick stauskas gotta have shooting when you when you stauskas 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 they wanted stauskas and and jeff petrie is like maybe we should take marcus smart and he just didn't listen to him yeah just and i know that draft was bad and, and really no one around him would have been better but i know that happens more often there was a time where he wanted he thought about cherry picking i don't even remember that article where he wanted to play four on five and just have one guy stand on offense the whole time. And like I, the, the fact that idea, that idea even got out to the public is insane. That that no one just like bound him up and threw him in the closet and never like let him speak about basketball again is unbelievable. I, I almost want to just try it as his coach. Just be like, all right, 
listen, I need to do this just one day. I'm going to take so much crap in the media, but if I do it, maybe my owner will finally stop telling me how to do my job. What if it works? What if you usher in the cherry picking era? There's the three point era. Now we're in the cherry picking era. It's a whole ordeal. Let's talk about the draft. I don't, I don't watch college basketball much, but I, do you, do you pay more attention? No, but we have um, we've got a pair of friends, and actually, I, sh- I should say because we're the Hoops Temple podcast, but we're part of like a larger kind of podcasting group, and I invite you to that uh, Discord where we do some blogging. Um, one of our our co-hosts, or our not co-host, our like sister podcast is the Assisted Development podcast, which is a hundred percent draft focused. That's awesome. I remember that. Yeah. So they they. Bring it, come on every now and then, educate us on some draft stuff. But what are you thinking? Who Who's your dream scenario? Who's your like kind of realistic scenario? And who's the if I have to scenario? So just reading the the draft, the mock drafts, just I didn't really watch college basketball, just reading it. I wanted a, a different wing player. Mm-hmm. And, and A.J. Griffin, A.J. Griffin and Keegan Murray just seemed to fit. 6'6", six, 6'8"-ish. Six, six, good shooting, high basketball IQ. I feel like that player is that guy that fits with Fox and Sabonis because with Barnes, Barnes is our starting, whether it's small forward or power forward, he has the same off-ball issue where he doesn't really, he kind of stands in the corner. And I feel like if you have someone who's more mobile and really works with how good of a passer Sabonis is and Fox is as well at times, I think that'd be good for us. Yeah, it's, it's just kind of a shame. This draft, um, you can definitely get those wing guys, but it sounds like there's really a big three with maybe uh, Ivy and Duran as kind of four and five. And wh- what the Kings, where are the Kings at right now? Seventh, I want to say? I think it's seventh. I don't think, I don't mind Ivy being ahead of us because we don't need another guard. If we take another point guard, I'm going to go check on Monty Bignair and see if he's okay. But Jalen, Jalen Dur- is it Duran? Yeah. Jalen Duran... I like the fit. I'm not sure how he fits with... I like the fit because we're a bad defensive team, and that's what he's good at. I don't like it because I don't like the spacing with Sabonis and him. That's pretty much the issue. But I was so high on, and I still am, less so after the tournament, but Chet Holmgren. He's, I think he's going to be awesome. I think we I think we saw the model in, in Evan Mobley, and I think he's going to be awesome. The people who say, oh, he's so weak, he's, so, he's not strong enough, Steven Adams is going to post him up, I do not care about Steven Adams. Chet Holmgren is going to shoot threes over him all day, run the fast break, great passes, good defense. He could be 110 pounds and just that good at basketball. The issue is guys that tall don't stay healthy. Yeah. And, and that's they, they never do. There's no, there's really no instance other than like Rick Smith's of a seven foot three guy playing for any extended period of time. Ah, oh, Rick Smith's. I love Rick Smith's. He gets forgotten so much, but like this, you've never been on a podcast with me before, but I somehow always managed to find a way to diss Reggie Miller. Really? How come? I, I just I find him incredibly overrated in the all time in rankings. Wow. Like, hey, he's top. People will be like, he's top fifty. I'm like, why? What did he do? He's he's Damian Lillard. He had some good second rounds, like, and then people are like, well, he took a team to the finals. Like, no, 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 no. He had Jalen Rose. He had Rick Smith. He had Mark Jackson, and like, he had a Dale Date. Like, he had a solid core around him. Uh, four other players would be all stars at one point in their career. Like, th- it, this is not him taking a team of nobodies. And I think Rick, Rick Smith just gets woefully forgotten. Um, and in part because there are just so many good centers in the 90s that he's probably like the 10th best center of the 90s. But like 
Smiths was good, and Smiths gave Shaq a lot of trouble. Yeah, he did. So you're telling me that I've been defending Reggie Miller on my TikTok page for nothing? He's been overrated this whole time? I, In my book, yes. And like, you know, hey, he, he might just be other people's cup of tea, but I I don't think he's all that great. I, I've got him in the, just outside the top 100 in my rankings. Wow, I have I have him at sixty five. Ooh, that's that's where I've landed. He's not top fifty. I understand what it takes to be a top fifty player. When you start getting into the top fifty, we're talking MVP kind of styles, and he's not that. And we know he's not that. But for someone to be twenty points a game in the playoffs for for fifteen years, that's hard to do. People don't do that, and he did that. But it's so here's here's the other thing with him is people treat him like he's a first option. Um, he's really not. He's a second option. His first option is Rick Smith, who is not as good of a player. But like that's how offenses were run through the 90s. And Reggie ran around and you got him the ball and he shot shots. And it's not like they weren't hard shots. Like he's he's cutting, he's ducking, he's weaving. Like these are, are hard shots, but he's still like not the primary focus and not the like not not the main point of their offense. And it, it just I don't know. I'm I'm much lower on him. And like if you try to find his peak. You know, when, when did he ever average 30? When was he ever an all NBA uh, second team player? Where, you know, wh- you say he's not an MVP candidate and like, absolutely not. That's, um, let's see, he was, he received MVP awards or MVP votes twice. Once he came in 16th and once he came in 13th. So like he picked up like maybe one fifth team vote each of those years. It's just wow. like, like the longevity is amazing. And if you want to talk longevity, there's guys like Robert Parrish, um, who uh, amazing 20 plus year career, but also were able to get to like some championship teams. I think I think Reggie is just the worst cast number one player when he should have been any teams like number three and be probably be like a four time all or four time champion if he just played with anyone good. Yeah, I agree. I have Parrish actually right behind him at 66. This happens to fall that way. That actually does bring something up. Um, I know one yeah. of the one of the ways I actually kind of got bigger on TikTok was uh, critiquing your Dikembe Mutombo ratings. So what what goes into your ratings? Um, what are you looking at? How are you uh, building these out? That's right. I remember. I remember you totally called me out because I had Dikembe over Dwight, which we can talk about. Um, you know, I just have time. I have a lot of time. <laughs> I wish I had I wish I had some some formula or an equation like you guys have um, or some sort of system, but I just have tons of basketball reference pages open. And I'm just looking at them. I just I had a lot of time over summer. I put this together and then six months later, I was like, I'm gonna turn this into something. I'm gonna make content with this. Um, and it took a long time. I, I really care about the big I, I've always thought about making videos about this, but I decided like it's too hard to explain. But I want to look at contributions to winning basketball. Mm-hmm. That's the thing, and it's hard to quantify. Um, I want to see people not just win titles, but be like, okay, that guy like really was impacting his team's chances to win. And when you're in the top seventy-five, that's important. If you're top twenty, that better be important. If you're top ten, that is crucial. Shout out Wilt Chamberlain, number eleven. Um, it is, I would say that's it. I want to look at longevity and peak, but in the lens of winning basketball. Wait, do you have a Keem over, uh, over Wilt? Yeah. Really? Yeah. 10. Oh. I could, I am not, I'm probably the least high on Wilt out of, out of, out of most people. Just not into it. 
I get it. I don't know. I, I have this back and forth with like that whole 60s era. Um, and it's not from a, I don't think they could play in today's game because if you took any of those players and gave them like time machine them out of, of their peak, gave them three months to adjust to the league, like not even like a whole new time to train, but literally just a couple of months to like, all right, these are the new tactics. This is like, all right, we're now allowed to like palm and do this stuff for dribbling. Like I think any of those guys could adjust. Um, but I, I go back and forth so much on how much do I value Russell for winning, but always having amazing teammates versus Wilt for never winning, but being like statistically just a much better player. And I, I have Russell at four, three or four um, is where he popped out in my matrix. Uh, and I've got Wilt kind of the back half of that top 10, but definitely over Hakeem. That's interesting. I have, I have Russell at four. Wilt's issues as a teammate, as a, his commitment to winning basketball, which is what I'm looking for, is questionable throughout the, his whole career. Um, the teammate argument is strong, but it's not nearly strong enough to make up for the fact there's a nine title difference between the two of them. Wilt's teammates were worse, but they weren't not they weren't that much worse to make up for the fact that he was getting ran off the court. In the second round, it wasn't like he played the Celtics each time. He was playing these random franchises and getting beat by the by the plumbers that people claimed to have been there. Those guys were not plumbers, but people were like, oh, he played against plumbers. Why didn't he beat those guys? If he's so unbelievable, if he's so special, if he's this 50-point machine, come on, he's better than that. He is. It's just, uh, I, I really wish um, that people's memories were better of those eras. Um, and like, I mean, gosh, we're talking about basketball games that were played 30 years before either of us were alive. Um, but I feel like people always think of it of like Wilt, West, and Baylor versus the Celtics. And I'm like, no, no, no. They they barely played together at all. Well, like, you know, they, they got the back half of their careers after or Baylor blew out his legs. Like, it's just not a fair fight. And that, that might be the Lakers fan of me defending this. But um, I, I went ahead and pulled up the basketball reference page from 57 to 69. The Celtics have, was it seven Hall of Famers on their team every single year? Yes. Yes, but it's not that simple. It's not that simple because how many of those guys are Hall of Famers because they played with Bill Russell? That, because there's on those teams. That's the other thing. And with like all time rankings, I struggle with that so much of like, hey, is JoJo White actually really good or did Russell no. carry him? Like, we're, ah, uh, it, because it's a double-edged sword, you know, was James Worthy, does James Worthy deserve to be a top 50 player? Or like, is he actually as good as Dominique Wilkins and he just sacrificed his game? Or is is he carried and elevated because he played with Magic and uh, Kareem? It's That's a great question. You know, that's a great point, really. Um, I find that with those Celtics, and I might be forgetting one, but only... Really, only Sam Jones, Kuzi, and Havlicek are Hall of Famers without Russell. Tom Sanders, I, I don't think he's a Hall of Famer, but Tommy Heinsohn, not a Hall of Fame player. JoJo White, not a Hall of Fame player. These guys that people just tack on, like, oh, Russell had all these Hall of Fame teammates, and like, well, he really had like like three, and they, they played at much different times. Mm-hmm. Um, Kuzi much earlier, and Havlicek much later. Um, it really is Russell at the core of this, and for the for the entirety of it. And to be fair, Wilt did have Hal Greer. Who, who is, yeah. you know, I, I think he came out top 100 in my matrix. I rerun this matrix every year. And so, like, I, I kind of flip-flop where guys are all the time. But I don't know. I really love it as just kind of like a stabilizing factor. Uh, someone reached out to me on TikTok and was like, hey, 
I haven't seen Draymond Green yet in your Matrix. Like, kind of feels like he should be around this point. I'm like, ooh, oh man, sorry. Draymond is not top 100. Like, there's a lot of really great players in, in the history that we kind of gloss over. Yeah, Will Chamberlain has has um how Greer, he has Billy Cunningham. Mm-hmm. Um, Chet Walker, I think I think Zelmo Beatty may have played with him. That might be wrong though. Um, but he has that. My issue with Will really quickly is the stats are amazing. Is a Wilt Chamberlain run offense just feeding him the ball over and over and over and over again? Is that the best way to win basketball games? And I don't think the answer is yes. He's out there for 48 minutes a game. It's not like he sits down. They're trying something different from the tip off to the end. It's Wilt shooting the ball over and over and over again. And I don't I don't think that was ever the most effective way to win titles. And as soon as he stops doing that, he wins his first title in 67. And then again, with the Lakers, his dominance didn't translate to winning basketball, even though the numbers are eye-popping. Yeah, it, it does make me kind of wonder how good Wilt could have been in a three-point shooting era. Um, not that Wilt would ever shoot threes, but you just have like that that level of dominance at the rim you're kind of able to pack it and especially get to the playoffs and it's just everyone has to stop this one force and you know exactly where he's going. Uh, you know, if he could play with a little bit of spacing, like Greer had some, Greer had a jump shot and could space a bit, but if you had to guard Greer from three, like, I don't know, or West from three, I think, uh, I, th- I think you could have gotten over the hump more, but we'll never know. Yeah, it's, it's, you'll, I always say on my TikTok page that these guys are basketball players, not time travelers. You can't expect them to dominate in today's league. If you told George Mikan that he was a post-up center, he'd go, what are you talking about? What does that mean? He has no idea what that means. Um, these modern expectations used against players to, to bring them down is unfair, but we're almost close to the playoffs. Let's talk about it. Yeah, what's, um, what, I mean, we still have so many matchups up in the air that's really hard to like pin anything down, but what would be your the three series you want to see the most? I have to see... Milwaukee and Miami play each other again. The rematch. I think that's where I'm going to start. I think I think Milwaukee hates Miami. I think it's mutual. I think right now I think Milwaukee would would handle would handle the Heat. Um, Giannis cares. I think he remembers the Brooklyn series. He wants to play those guys too. Prove that that wasn't a fluke. Mm-hmm. He wants to prove that it doesn't matter what size shoe KD's wearing. They'd beat him again. And I I think that that that's something that matters. It is just really caring. I'm, I really want to see that Milwaukee-Miami series, too. Um, like, Bam's been out on the podcast trail kind of campaigning for the Defensive Player of the Year, and him and Giannis have the same agent. And when the Heat were kind of eyeing Giannis, I think that kind of – I think that pissed Bam off. They've got the same agent. They waited to give Bam his extension until Giannis got his, um, you know, just in case he wasn't going to sign. Like, I think, I think Bam really wants to take a go at Giannis. I think so too. I'd love to see it. That those playoff series, I, I I like Miami. They play playoff basketball. That's something I always look at. I, I've been saying Miami and and Memphis are contenders for months because those guys yeah. play playoff basketball. They're big. They're strong. They shoot well. They play inside. It's a good team style. You can tell when teams are playing regular season ball, and I don't think either of those teams are. Miami wants a shot at at Brooklyn, or not Brooklyn, but at uh, Milwaukee. Um, I'd love to see it. That'd be a second-round matchup right now. Who would you take? I think I think Milwaukee is better. I think Milwaukee wins in six. Okay, that's uh, yeah. okay. Game six would be in, in Milwaukee. I'm I'm tempted to say five. I, I think the Bucks are significantly better. Wow. Yeah. I just the the Heat offense 
really bogs down in the half court and playoff is a lot more half court basketball. I don't think um, they're going to be able to get out and run. And it's really kind of funny that the Heat are so good in the open floor. And a lot of that's driven by Kyle Lowry because that's never what I think of with Kyle Lowry. He just, you know, you think of the big butt and him bullying people out of the way. You don't think of uh, like, let's lead the break. Um, but I, I think if things, you know, slow down and compact, Miami, Miami's offense is going to stall. And then defensively, the Bucks can throw Lopez at Bam, or at least like kind of use both Giannis and Lopez and double body. Whereas I think Bam is going to get real tired having to go up against Giannis just minute after minute. And then I don't know who they're even going to put against Lopez if you ever try to feed Lopez on the block. It's a matchup issue for Miami. I think the biggest thing is, though, Milwaukee has Drew Holiday and Middleton, mm-hmm. and then they have Giannis. And Giannis is going to be the best player on the court for 90% of the games they play on in, in the playoffs. And Miami doesn't have that. When there's two minutes left, when there's a minute left, there's 30 seconds left, who on Miami are you giving the ball to? It- Statistically, Tyler Hero is their best uh, best like shot creator. And that's... That's scary. Yeah, That's scary for Miami. In the playoffs... The, the six feet of space you have to shoot open threes or get open becomes six inches. Guys like Duncan Robinson, it gets harder. Guys like Hero, it's going to get harder. And Hero gets attacked defensively. Mm-hmm. Milwaukee's going to go at him. They're going to go Middleton, Holiday, and they're going to go. They're going to try to get on him as much as possible and just take him to the basket. Which, you know, in all honesty, might not be the worst thing for Miami. Like, you mentioned earlier um, about Chet Holgram of like Stephen Adams is going to post up Chet. I mean, if a team wants to run their offense through Stephen Adams, like by all means, great. That's it's a lot better than having so- someone else attack him. And like, if the Bucks are going to try to run a lot of attacking through Holiday and leave Giannis off to the side, like I, I can kind of live with that if I'm if I'm Milwaukee. Like, let's bait them into doing that. No, absolutely. I, I see what you're saying. I think it's this double-edged sword, though. Let's say they do do that. They go at Hero. Um, they can go at Hero and have Brook Lopez on the floor. Yeah. And have Giannis on the floor. And so you have, well, do you want to let it go through Hero, or do you want to cover Giannis and Lopez down low? Um, or Lopez is a fantastic three-point shooter. Yeah. That's another issue. He's going to be out there. Um, Bam can only cover so much ground. I don't know if Dwayne Dedman's going to play a bunch of minutes, but don't love that for, for Miami, really. Well, what's your second series that you want to see the most? I think this is the most obvious one, um, and the one I probably should have started with, but it's Brooklyn and Philly. The storyline's there. It's the most dramatic playoff series we may ever see um, with that Harden-Ben Simmons relationship, just for the pure drama aspect of it. I'm like a wine mom watching (laughs) rom-coms. I just want to watch Brooklyn and Philly play. I think it'd be fantastic. Um, I don't think Brooklyn has an answer for Embiid. Um, I, I think that's going to be the end of the, basically the end of the series for them. Um, Harden, I'm worried about. I think if Harden Harden's going to have a playoff series where he shoots three for fifteen twice, and if the Sixers can overcome that, I think they they can beat the contenders. But if they run into Milwaukee and Harden goes one of ten and scores five points in Game Three. It, that derails the whole thing. I Brooklyn definitely doesn't have like a good Embiid stopper, but they can at least kind of piecemeal something together and throw 18 fouls at him between Drummond, LaMarcus Aldridge, and like Blake Griffin has had his moments. You know, he still has some of the wily, like, I used to be athletic, so like let me have this one springy moment out of nowhere, or I at least know what an athletic guy is going to try to do to me. And, and you know, 
bare minimum he can foul. Although they just cut James Johnson, that would have been another good six fouls to throw at uh, at Embiid. That's right. I bet I bet Joel Embiid loves this. If he was listening to this, he would love to hear that the Nets are going to throw Andre Drummond at him. Oh yeah, he's waiting for that. Gosh, like how much does Embiid have to be in Drummond's head? that Drummond then goes and signs with Philly after everything Embiid has said about him and done to him. Like, ooh, it'd be like Dwight going to back up Shaq at, at certain points. Yeah, absolutely. Tell me about the Jazz are the fifth seed right now. They'd play the Mavericks. Yeah. Part of me thinks this is it for Utah. They're going to implode in this series. Luka is going to pick apart Rudy Gobert. Not Rudy Gobert, pick apart the Jazz defense, and people are going to be upset at Rudy for some reason. Um, this is just, it looks like disaster. I, I know it can move around, but that, that matchup looks like disaster for Utah. This is the end of the Gobert-Mitchell era. I don't think, I, I think if they lose in five or six, maybe neither of those guys are on the team at the end of the season. Ooh, neither. I, I definitely think Gobert is gone. Um, there's just been so much there, so much sniping, so like Quinn Snyder getting out there and being like, "Hey, the guys had lunch together." Yeah, they. Yeah, they practically work together. Yeah, I mean, I I just went out to lunch with all my coworkers. Does that mean I like all of them? No. Do I actually like all of them? In case you're listening, yes, I do like you guys 100. I like all, every last one of you. There's not one person on my 13 person team that I dislike. But, <laughs> but yeah. I don't know. I'm. I feel like that's probably going to be the NBA TV series. Is you know the one that gets no media attention. I'm not super excited for it, but I think once again probably Dallas and five. I feel like Luca is gonna. Luca's looking at Utah and he's like, I see Mike Conley, I see Jordan Clarkson, I see Boyan Bogdanovich. I'm gonna attack this. I'm gonna tear it apart, and he will. Gobert being there because I think the Jazz have beaten the Mavs in the regular season. It's playoff series is different. Um, it's going to take a lot. As soon as Gobert is off the floor, I don't know what the Jazz are going to do. Is this Hans, is this Hassan Whiteside time? Is Hassan Whiteside going to play 30 minutes in the playoffs? Is he on the Jazz? He's, he's on, on the, the Jazz, right? He's on the Jazz. He's on the Jazz. They brought in Rudy Gay to try to have like a small ball five look, as well as Eric Pascal, and neither of them have, have done well. It's Yeah, I, I think they're both ready for an end. And there's also talk that Quinn Snyder might be headed out the door. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. It's kind of a shame because like, I, I was always a believer in Utah that if they could get the right breaks, and I feel like they're a little bit misaligned. or well, they, They're overly criticized for last season where Conley missed time. Um, Mitchell was injured during their, their games against the Clippers. Like, okay, the Clippers didn't have Kawhi, but half heart or half health – Conley and half health Mitchell like yeah I think that's that's probably a fairly close series either way no absolutely health was um health was a big issue there I think with the with Rudy with Rudy Gay it's one of those moves where you could ask anybody that's just like phone a friend hey like can Rudy go can Rudy Gay play small ball five and and no one's gonna say yes that's just not something that's going to work, especially come playoff time. Um, it's one of those free agent signings, one of those ideas. Who is convincing themselves that Rudy Gay is going to be small ball five in the playoffs? Absolutely no one. It's not going to happen. No. It's the same issue with what the Lakers are building their season up. And you said earlier you were out from the beginning, but I was kind of in. But when you guys signed Trevor Ariza, 
and everyone's like, oh, this is a good p- pickup. I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Like, Trevor Reza hasn't been good in, in, in five years. Mm-hmm. If we're now saying that Trevor Reza is a good pickup, like, I don't trust any of you for the Camp Azor pickup or for the uh, or, um, Avery Bradley. Kendrick Nunn pickup. Avery Bradley. Like, like if you think Trevor Reza is a good pickup, I don't trust you anymore for the rest of this roster construction. Yeah. Uh, so much of NBA discourse has come down to spacing nowadays. And there's a good reason why spacing is incredibly important. And like the idea of, hey, we're going to play Rudy Gay, we're going to have this small ball five lineup kind of works on offense, but he still doesn't provide like a ton of spacing. And it doesn't work on defense because he doesn't actually play defense that well. So it just, it was a bad pickup. It was kind of ill-conceived from the beginning. And, you know, Utah for being a great defensive team. They rely so much on Gobert because he has to make up for Mitchell. He has to make up for Conley. They have like one other positive defender on the team, and that's Royce O'Neal, who's like, cool, I'm going to guard Luka in isolation for 40 minutes a night and get hit with screens just like three or four times a possession. It's going to suck. It's going to be exhausting for O'Neal. He's going to go through it this season for sure. When people say small ball, what they mean is versatility. Mm -hmm. Small ball does not mean short. Yeah, Draymond Green is the greatest small ball five, not because he's six eight or six seven, but because he can do everything. Rudy Gay doesn't do that. Um, so I think even for like for Sacramento moving forward, we have Sabonis and he's smaller, but don't say we're playing small ball because he can't switch. He can't play. You know, he's not going to switch in perimeter. It's a different style. Um, but and, and Fox is um, but Fox really does work well with him. Um, it's a good pickup still. You know, for the Kings, really quickly, I um to start the season, Fox was so slow to get started, and that was the biggest issue. Really, is he just? It was a was horrible slump for the first few months. Um, you have this guy who can't really shoot, not shooting even worse than he was. Um, whether it was from the line or from the field or from deep, it, it was really bad. But he did pick it up at the end. Do you think it was any of the rule change that affected him, or not the rule change, but rule uh, point of emphasis? I don't. What I saw from him is I, I went to a few games early in the season. He he put on some muscle, and it seemed like he was getting to the same spots he usually did, mm-hmm. but wasn't shooting from them. There was just something, which is a strange thing to notice. But I'd be like, he's like racing down the court, gets to that left block that he usually pulls up and shoots from, and just dribbles out of it. Hmm. Which is I don't know if that's a coaching issue. God knows what Luke Walton is telling him to do. Um, <laughs> I'm probably the last but person like, that likes Luke Walton in this coaching. <laughs> <laughs> you can't if he's it's it's inexcusable. You can't defend Luke Walton anymore. Ah, uh, I just he's he needs to go back to being an assistant. But I don't know the, the Laker fandom. He's he's part of the Laker family. We gotta we gotta support our own. He was on the uh, he was on those Lakers teams. That's important. Plus, he, now, he helped okay. the Kings be bad, which is you know for Laker fandom is like a positive, right? This was a tank job. <laughs> Yeah, he, he helped you guys be bad too. So true, true. I, I have a good question now. Of all the play-in teams, I don't know if you have that in front yeah. of you. Which one do you like the most? I mean, the obvious choice feels like Brooklyn, just because yeah. you got the star power. The probably second most obvious choice feels like the Clippers, who apparently still mm-hmm. may get Kawhi back. Uh, they just got Norm Powell. They got um, Paul George back. So you know, if the if the Clippers can get into that seven. Um, and like no knock on Memphis, 
Um, but if Memphis comes up to the two, I think their lack of playoff experience might be something the Clippers are able to exploit. And I think Ty Lue is a really good coach and able to make some pretty pretty strong adjustments. I don't know. I, I think the Clippers could make a potential run. So I, they're going to be my pick over over the Nets. What about you? I think that's fair. I think um, Minnesota looks good just because they have the best record. That's, that's probably pretty clear. Um, but having Cat is important. I think he's the second best player out of any of the any of the playing teams that's that's least healthy. Um, but really quickly about Brooklyn, Brooklyn still has playing games to play. Yeah, I, it feels like every NBA circle is just like, oh yeah, Brooklyn, like they'll be in the playoffs. I, that's not guaranteed. No, I know they're playing Cleveland, but you still have to beat those guys. Um, there's a world where where Brooklyn falls apart, just bad two games. KD falls like trips and scrapes his knee, limps around. There's a world where where Brooklyn just doesn't shoot well, loses two games, and that's it. Which is pretty crazy to think, given how people have just been penciling them into. Oh, how do you think they're going to do against the Bucks, or how do you think they're going to do against the Heat? Let's see how they do against the Cavs first. Maybe they blow them up by thirty, but it's still a basketball game that's yet to be played. You have to win that to get into the playoffs. Well, and let's not even pencil them in against the Cavs yet, because there's still two games left in this regular season, and Brooklyn is tied with Atlanta. Like, there's a chance that they slip to the ninth seed, and then they have to win two games. And yeah, of course, we're all going to take Brooklyn over Atlanta or take Brooklyn over Charlotte. You know, just like betting odds, they're going to beat any of these teams in a single game. But I'd be really worried about playing the Hawks or the Hornets just because they could have a masterful offensive night. Like that happens sometimes where they just hit a ton of threes and, you know, the kind of quote unquote randomness or the the variance that three point shot enables could bite the Bucks or not the Bucks, the Nets. Yeah, absolutely. You see games in the playoffs or the regular season, teams are up 20. That evaporates faster than it ever has before. Back, you know, years prior, 20-point lead, throw the subs in. Let's get out of here. Mm -hmm. But now, back-to-back threes, maybe some more threes. All of a sudden, it's a nine-point game, and and you're back in it. Um, And Atlanta and Charlotte have, there's, I mean, they're scoring more points per game than Brooklyn is. Yeah. The defense is worse, but they have that offense. Um, and right now, Atlanta's playing. Atlanta's probably better than their record shows, um, given how well they've been playing. And Brooklyn's only forty-two and thirty-eight. This isn't some like Minnesota where they're forty-six wins and like oh they shouldn't even be here. Like Brooklyn is a play-in team. Yeah, it, I've really enjoyed the addition of the play-in. Like. Do I want to see some of these play-in teams make the playoffs? Not particularly, but it's definitely stopped some of the tankings in that like the six seed has to keep trying. And I guess I don't care so much about the top teams maybe jockeying down a little bit, but I feel like it has made the end of the season more fun and just added some variance that, that I really like. I'll take any chance for more competition yeah. more incentive more incentives to compete is always better i don't care if you know right, right now usually by the all-star break the 12th seed is like ah whatever mm-hmm. throws it in trades other vets but now like sacramento did or like you know what like we can do this like let's do it like i'm ready for this yeah. or like the pelicans and, and like the pelicans were out and hey they they knocked the lakers out the spurs what are the Spurs doing here? But yet they kept trying as opposed to packing it in. Yeah, opposed to the Lakers folding and forgetting how to play basketball. Let's talk about Chicago, the Bulls. Great start to the season, limping into the playoffs. I mean, it's 100% their defense. 
you know, early in the season, they were a top 10 defensive team. And like it was really due to their point of attack defenders, Caruso, Lonzo, um, Javante Green, that were getting after it, Patrick Williams, uh, even Derek Jones Jr. as like a reserve, as like your fifth best defensive player, was not a bad fifth best defensive player. And then they just went through so many injuries, losing literally everyone I just mentioned for a significant time that they fell apart hard. And I don't, it's sad because I think this was maybe their year to be a dark horse. And I don't think they're going to be better next year. Them and Cleveland really got it bad in terms of injuries. They got hit hard. Do you, do you not think there is a slight chance? Let's say the Bulls, let's say the Bulls in Toronto, not Toronto, the Bulls, right now Bulls are playing Boston. Do you not, there's a slight chance that Levine and DeRozan average 25, 30 a night and they, and they win that series in seven. So here's the thing is I think they could average 30 a night, each of them. But I think Tatum and Jalen Brown will average 55. And so like they're <laughs> going to even each other out. And then it's like, okay, cool. Who's going to do more for their team? Uh, Vucevic and Smart or, or sorry, Vucevic and Lonzo or, you know, Time Lord and Smart. And I, one of my worst takes from the deadline and like, man, when you record takes all the time, you're going to have some bad ones. Um, I really thought Derek White Jr. was or Derek White was not going to make a difference. Um, and he's made a huge difference. Uh, I still think it's an overpay giving up uh, a first round and then another first round swap later for him. But it, he's made a huge difference in their defense. He gives them a five man switchable lineup. Um, yeah, I, I think he gives them stability for sure. Yeah. And, you know, we could we'd say all this and. Hey, Tatum tweaks his ankle and has to miss two weeks, and boom, uh, the Bulls the Bulls advance. That that's the thing about the playoffs: like the randomness, the, the rematches. You get time to adjust, but I, I think uh, I think the Bulls are a pretty easy matchup. That teams like it seems like everyone's trying to figure out how to play either Chicago or Cleveland and try to avoid Brooklyn and Toronto. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Vucevic looks looks cooked for the most part. There's just there's a point where like I don't think I don't think Vucevic can be your best like your starting center not your starting center but your third best player on a championship team unless your top two other uh, top two players are Hall of Fame guys but just in this setup where you have two All NBA All Star kind of guys with Vucevic defending the rim like not thrilled about it just not thrilled about it uh, and like backing him up is Tony Bradley who is is a pretty solid defender but. It's just it's such a step down. Like maybe maybe they can come back and they can trade Kobe White or Ao and get get some pieces that maybe fit better in the front court, kind of balance because they've got a lot of really good guards that I don't think I think you quite need Lonzo Caruso, White, Ao, Levine, um, and DeRozan who can all play guard. I know DeRozan and Levine have been mostly forwards, but like that's kind of just because of how guard heavy if you can shift some of that talent up to to a long rangey you know four or five um thad young but good type of player thad thad young my goodness <laughs> no i i agree with um with alonzo being because he's out i think he's out for this season at this point yeah. and um that was so important because you're like okay like maybe our back end isn't as as protected offensively but we do have Crusoe and Lonzo, bigger, bulkier defensive guards that are going to play well. And like, okay, we can like make something out of this. Our offense is so good where maybe it doesn't matter if um, if we get bullied down though. But I think 
just with how important big men are right now, just having knowing that you're going to have to beat either Giannis or Embiid in the playoffs, the the Bulls weren't built for that, even at full strength. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, I get it. You can't build for all obstacles and you kind of got to hope for a little bit of playoff luck. Maybe you don't see either of them, but as soon as you do, you're kind of cooked. Do you have a title favorite at this point? I feel like... No, it's a it's a ridiculous answer just because it's obvious. But Phoenix has been steamrolling all season. Doesn't matter if Chris Paul is out. Doesn't matter if Devin Booker's out. Doesn't matter who's out. They could be dressing up their G League team, and they still seem to win by 15. Are you familiar with their latest two-way signing, who may or may not be converted to a uh, full contract by the time this, uh, this podcast airs? No, I don't think so. Who is it? Uh, Gabriel Ludberg. Oh, really? Interesting. He's the first. He's going to make a difference. He's the first Danish player in the NBA. So our, our co-host oh, Nico wow, really? is is very much on uh, the Gabriel Ludberg, uh, or he goes by Efi, his middle name, uh, that train. So we're all we're all cheering for Phoenix over here. I'll cheer for Phoenix too. I'm I'm all for the all for that. I I, I they they are so Phoenix is so far ahead. The second best team is Memphis with fifty five wins, and Phoenix has won seventy eight percent of their games with sixty three wins. There's not much. There's there's parity right now because there's so many second options. But if Phoenix isn't your pick for the finals, either you like really hate Chris Paul or you also don't like basketball. <laughs> there's something missing. I think. What that's do you a- think? One, I think that's a beautiful um, like last line for a pie. The cast is like, if you don't like Chris Paul, you hate basketball. Um, I, I I go back and forth because they're they are my favorite for the finals. Um, but for most of the season, my favorite was the Golden State Warriors. And I think if Curry can get back and ramp up in the early rounds, um, I, I would still slightly favor Golden State. But just what we've seen, Phoenix is is head and shoulders above everyone as currently playing. I think the issue the issue for Golden State is they're not high enough seed to play a play-in team. And they're going to be stuck with Denver to start. Yeah, which could knock them out right and then and there. It could. I, I think Steph Curry ramping up in the early rounds is cool. But if Jokic is dropping 30 and 30 on, on the Warriors in the meantime... You could ramp up at home by game five. Mm-hmm. Like I, I love Draymond's versatility and everything he could bring to the court. But I, I'm really trying to think: uh, has he ever had to play against a Jokic or against like a physical big for an extended time? And I don't, I don't think so. You're shaking your head, no. So it's not just my memory. I don't think so either. And like I even dating, think about the 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 teams that the Warriors played in the finals where. The Raptors had Marcus Saul. He was older, mm-hmm. not close to a Jokic's. Um, Serge Ibaka was good, but for the Cavs teams, like Draymond's is awesome first style defender. When it's Timofey Mozgov at center, yeah, then you put him out there. I guess I guess early in their run, and actually kind of pre their run, they really did struggle with the grit and grind Grizzlies with Mark and with um, Zach Randolph. But back then, he also had Andrew Bogut to kind of you know muck it up in the middle and. He wasn't as relied upon in small ball lineups. Now, now he has to defend centers a lot, and I, I don't think you want Kavon Looney out there as much. Andrew Bogut was really important. He was for those Warriors teams, for those championship teams. He did all the dirty stuff. He set a ton of illegal screens that he should have been called for, um, <laughs> and uh, just clotheslining people for forty eight minutes. But he was important uh, down low, just because the league was was a little bigger at the time. But now, if you are no matter who else is out there in reason. 
if you're starting Kevon Looney, it's not going to be a good playoff series for you. It's just not. He's not going to be able to handle Jokic. Um, offensively, Looney isn't good enough to make it worthwhile to put a bigger body on him for for Jokic, basically. Yeah. You just kind of look at any of their potential first-round matchups. Maybe they slide and they have to play uh, play Utah. All right, you're not really worried about Rudy Gobert, but Gobert gets to hide and gets to protect the paint because he gets to play against Kevon Looney. So that's, that's a win for Utah. Um, you know, if they have to play against the Timberwolves, Cat kind of gets a little bit of open reign because he's not – yeah, you know, he, he has a he has a good height advantage. Um, I don't like Draymond having to be his primary defender night in, night out. Like that's that's better for short term bursts in my mind. This isn't twenty sixteen Draymond. Yeah. This isn't prime Draymond Green. Yeah. He isn't locking everyone down, but he's a little bit older. He's dealt with some pretty serious injury this season that really hampered him. So this isn't a hundred percent Draymond Green going crazy. This is like eighty percent Draymond Green. That's yeah, it's uh it's sad. I was really hoping that this that we were going to get that like magical Golden State run, and maybe we, maybe we still will get it. Like you know, I think about the Spurs who won in two thousand seven, and then kind of went semi dormant for a good number of years, and then popped back up. Like I know that's that's Golden State's kind of plan, but I, I'm really high on Kaminga. Um, I, I thought Kaminga was actually better than Jalen Suggs, and definitely better than Scotty Barnes. Like you know, that right on one, wrong on the other, but. Yeah, that's just amateur draft analysis. I think having them at, at those guys as your wings, Jordan Poole or Kaminga or wherever uh, Moody is, um, Andrew Wiggins, you're not thrilled about this wing rotation for Golden State, whether it's offensively or defensively, um, just with the lack of experience. Plus, Andrew Wiggins is he's going to either he's going to play well some nights, 20 points, there's going to be five or six playoff games if they get to the, the second or third round where Andrew Wiggins scores like five points. Mm-hmm. He's not, it, it's going to happen. Or it's like, oh, Andrew Wiggins has been out there. How many minutes has he played? 38? I didn't even notice. I didn't even notice he was out there. He's just one of those kind of players, very like Jeff Green. You're like, either Jeff Green has 45 or you forget he's even on the team. Exactly. Well, I know we're we're getting probably over an hour at this point. So I've got one final yeah. question for you. Uh, it's a question that we like to ask a lot of our guests when they come on. Uh, and that's, if you could build a dodgeball team of NBA players, and since you're a Kings fan, I feel like we're going to limit you to Kings players. Uh, give okay. me a five-man dodgeball squad of Kings players. For, for first, I want to say that um, if this was any NBA players, Russell Westbrook is my first pick. I feel like he would just... <laughs> I think he feels like a, the best dodgeball player possible. He does have that like desire to just smoke a child in the face with a dodgeball. He's quick. Um, you know, he does turn the ball over a lot, though. That's that's kind of like you got to gotta be worried. No accurate pass. Yeah. I'm going to go all guards because I'm not trying to get hit by the dodgeballs. Um, Davion Mitchell's a must. Very, very agile. Mm-hmm. Um, then we're going to take DiVincenzo and Holiday and Lamb, then Fox. How many are on a dodgeball team? <laughs> just, just five. Just five. Just five. I think that's five. Yeah, that's five. Uh, yeah, I don't think, you know, our bigs aren't very mobile. Um, I'm going to take, uh, actually, give me Terrence Davis instead of Jeremy Lamb, because I feel like Jeremy Lamb wouldn't care and just get out on purpose. That's fair. I like the Davion Mitchell, because he's probably going to catch a few of the balls and, you know, get get teammates back in. 
yeah, I, I think he'd be our, our captain for this. Um, he, he feels like, I, I feel like in real life, he probably knows how to play dodgeball really well. But thank you so much for having me on this podcast, man. I really appreciate yeah, it. Yeah, it's been great having you. We'll have to try to have you back on sometime. I would love to. I would love to. Hopefully closer to um, the draft, I'll know more about what the Kings should do. Talk playoffs. It'd be exciting. Yeah. Well, thank you for coming on. Thank you so much. I appreciate it.